This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. This week's guest is Dr. Margaret Ann Story, who goes by the name Peggy. Peggy is a professor of computer science at University of Victoria and chief scientist at DX. In 2021, she co-authored the Space Framework, which is a widely known research paper that lays out an approach for understanding and measuring developer productivity. In today's conversation, we start off with the origin story of space and how the framework was developed. We then get into the framework itself, including how companies are using it and why the paper mentions metrics like lines of code that are typically regarded as ineffective. We wrap up by talking about the challenges and shortcomings of space and where Peggy thinks things are headed in the future. Peggy is one of the world's foremost experts on developer productivity, having published hundreds of peer-reviewed papers, including one that I got to work with her on last year. Her insights on the space framework are incredibly valuable to anyone who's read the paper or interested in it. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Margaret Ann Story. Peggy, it's so great to be sitting down with you and talking about space and all things developer productivity. This is something I've really been looking forward to for a while. Maybe to begin, you could give us a brief overview of your background and what your work focuses on. Sure. And thanks, Abby. This is, uh, I'm super excited about this conversation and chatting with you about what space is about and about developer productivity in general. So space, so first of all, me. So I'm a professor at the University of Victoria. I've been there for quite some years. I also consult a lot with industry. In particular, lately, I've been consulting with Microsoft over the past few years. I've also done some work with Abby, which we might talk about a bit later on. And uh, my research focus has been on understanding how to improve developer productivity and satisfaction and how to come up with better tools, how to come up with better processes, and just generally how to improve productivity, engineering productivity, and developer well-being. You know, I think a lot of people listening are familiar with what improving productivity sort of looks like on the industry side, but it'd be great to just hear a little bit as a professor, what does that look like? What does your work focus on? And do you work with students? Are you guys cranking out papers? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, so I've been collaborating a lot with industry and working with students with industry as well. On the research side, we work with students. I mean, obviously writing papers is kind of how we measure our performance, which I'll get to in a little bit. We do a lot of studies, so a lot of rigorous studies. We build on a lot of other research. So we build on theories, not just from software engineering, but also theories from behavioral psychology and social sciences. And we try to bring what we know already from research and use that to discover new problems or new theories that help us understand a phenomenon that we're studying or to come up with ways, theories about what could improve. And then how do we run studies to maybe experiment or to understand, do the things that we design bring improvement? With the students, many of my students have interned or worked with industry as well. So a lot of my research tends to be really centered around working with industry because I'm very much interested in the real problems that practitioners have and understanding those problems and understanding ways to address those problems. And my students tend to also have that applied perspective as well. But I do do a lot of kind of more research kind of geeky stuff on the side, which we won't talk about today. 
But yeah, I have a passion for learning about a breadth of research and then how do we apply that and translate that to other new fields. So it seems like the space framework is one of the attempts at applying the research. Can you provide just a high level overview of what the space framework is? Definitely. It's definitely about it being applied. And it was definitely a paper that we wrote to aim at practitioners more than at researchers. So productivity, what does it mean? What does the word productivity mean? It's a very, very complex construct. It's a human construct. And it's a human-made construct, right? We try to describe what does it mean? And it means different things to different people. In fact, I did a study before we wrote this paper where we asked developers and managers to define productivity. And they came up with very, very different definitions. And how productivity is measured really varies a lot when you talk to different people in industry or just even how they think about it, whether, how can you measure it? So I don't know if you want me to tell you where this paper came from before saying what it is, but this paper came from, you can see the names here, actually. So it was a bunch of us. We were during the pandemic studying productivity and trying to understand what is the impact of suddenly having to work from home, basically overnight on developer productivity. And we were doing a lot of different studies, myself and Tom, for example, and Brian, we were doing surveys with developers. Jana was doing diary studies. Chandra and Nicole were looking at telemetry data. And we were together trying to make sense of what productivity meant and how we could shake up, if you like, a little bit the way that industry was thinking about productivity in a very narrow way and basically say productivity is very complicated and it's personal and it refers to a lot of different things, not just you can't just look at telemetry data. You have to think about it in a very, very rich way. And so that's what led to space. That's a fantastic overview. And you touched on this in that overview, but why do you think, why now? Like, why is this paper and this research needed now in the context of industry? I think it was needed for a long time, but it was just, you know, the pandemic kind of forced us to say, okay, we have to do something about this. All of the people that are listed there on that paper, and I should say there are many other people that I've collaborated with whose research and insights and opinions have contributed to it. We were all... I guess, very aware that productivity is complicated and you can't just measure it using one metric or even a couple of metrics and that there is a lot of myths about productivity and trying to measure it using these very, very narrow perspectives is dangerous and very risky to other developers and to companies. And so we got together and we're like, okay, there's a lot of research that talks about this and has a lot of the insights in space that has been, you know, sort of rigorously researched. But how do we put it in a form that we can get the attention of practitioners so that we can shake up their opinions, change their mind about the myths that they might hold, and give them a way to talk about productivity with their team and with other people, and give them a way to think about what might need to be improved and even how they may, may try to measure it. Although that can be challenging. Definitely. And so for people listening who aren't, don't have experience in research, quote unquote, what was the process like with all the different co-authors? What was the actual process of producing and writing and drafting or and conducting research to build this paper? So actually the, the process for this was, was quite different to other papers that I've written. And I have to say it was probably some of the most fun that I've ever had writing a paper. It was fun because 
we were all passionate. We all cared about it. And I think, you know, Nicole, she has a great sense of humor with the other authors that are on the paper, Tom, Brian, Chandra, Jenna. The idea to write the paper was to have something that industry, that we would shake, we would change how practitioners thought about productivity and get rid of that na those narrow definitions and narrow metrics. And between us, we had so many insights to build on. So several of us were more on the research side, but Brian, for example, and Nicole came from industry and brought you know very deep insights from industry, and Jenna as well from doing the diary studies. And so bringing those really, those different perspectives together, a lot of rigorous research, as well as our insights from working with practitioners, that was basically what we did. We shared what we knew. We used, it was during the pandemic, so we were remote. We met weekly. I think we met on Friday mornings, pretty much. And we would brainstorm about what are the main dimensions that are coming out about productivity. And we had a whiteboard and we sketched on the whiteboard. And then once we decided on the main dimensions, we also thought about, well, what are the myths? Let's write those down. So we brainstormed on what are the myths that we had each heard and which ones should we include in the paper? And then from the dimensions, we then started talking about what are some possible metrics? How could you take those dimensions and then turn them into metrics? And the, the actually writing the paper was something we did collaboratively. So we would all have our, I guess we were using Teams, we would have our cameras on, but we would all say, okay, I'm going to write this part. Okay, I'm going to write that part. And then we would just, you know, say, hey, I'm kind of stuck on this. What do you think about this? And then we would just kind of share and then we'd go back to writing. And most of the paper was written that way with a few sprints on some weekends and maybe a couple of hours before the meetings. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you mentioned the categories. So you distilled productivity down into these five categories, which is uh, an impressive feat. Can you share more about how those categories emerged and were there disagreements? How do you feel about those categories now? Yeah, share the process of how you guys came up with those five categories. They are based on a lot of research findings. So an earlier study that I did with Tom and, and other folks at Microsoft we came up with 44 factors, for example, that we found impact developer productivity and developer satisfaction. This was a, a quantitative survey, so we were able to do some clustering with those factors, and then those led to categories of factors that impact uh, developer productivity and satisfaction. So some of the themes came from that, but I think a lot of the themes honestly came from our experience as a group that every time we had done a study or talked to people about productivity, that these were the top level, the top, the top of mind category themes, if you like. I don't know that I'd call them categories, but more dimensions of productivity, the ways that people think about productivity in terms of the activities that they do, or that it's about how they collaborate with others, or their ability to work in an efficient way without interruptions. These were really the top of mind things that came out. And we didn't disagree on those. We did disagree a little on which words to use to describe those because each of those is also quite complex. But early on, I think Nicole said, we need, an, we need a, you know, an, a good acronym for this, which was pure magic, actually. We did disagree on which words we would use for describing those dimensions. And in part, we were driven by trying to come up with a word. And of course, space was a great word for capturing this. And then we aligned the dimensions with those words. So there you go. There's the, the kind of the behind the scenes look at where those came from. So you came up with this framework and 
as authors, what was your intention for how people would use this framework? What was the vision for that? You know, the main vision was to change how people think and talk about productivity, to get away from thinking that productivity, first of all, can be measured in just one way with one metric, or even I would say a set of universal metrics that you could apply, say, across the industry, because productivity is really personal to developers, but it's also very context dependent, right? In terms of different projects and even different state of the project, right? Is it a new startup or is it an established team that's dealing with, you know, technical debt, say, in a, in a project? And so the first thing that we wanted was to change how people think and the way that they talk about productivity and to call out when they see people saying, well, if we do this, it'll improve our productivity to then ask a question, well, what does that mean to you, right? When you say improve productivity, what does that mean? Is it improving the quality of the outcomes or the, the code that you're writing? Or is it developers spending more of their day writing code? Or is it developers helping new developers onboard? What does it mean? So that was the first thing. And then I guess we were also hoping that it would shake up some of these myths, as I was mentioning. And it would also give some guidance to attempts that are made if there is an attempt to measure. But even then, you know, we have a lot of caution around how those metrics are being used. You mentioned something interesting that industry has varying definitions for productivity. I'm curious in, in your personal experience, because I'm sure you're getting hit up all the time by companies and practitioners. What do you think is the most convergent or, or common definition or meaning of productivity when people come to you and ask them, ask you to help them measure it or understand it? What do you think they mean? So often they don't know. So that's why it's always important to ask, what do you mean by productivity? What does that mean to you? And it's not just what does it mean to you, but who cares, right? If you're trying to say, I want to define and measure productivity for whom, right? And for what purpose? Why are you doing that? Are you trying to understand what's going on? Or are you trying to improve it? Or are you trying to understand the impact of an intervention? So that's the first thing. And, and actually going back to your last question, one of our goals that I didn't mention, and I think it's important here, is that we wanted practitioners to be aware that if they did try to improve some aspect of productivity, that it could have an impact on another dimension. So for example, you might assume that allowing developers to have no interruptions can improve, will improve their satisfaction and will also improve the quality of the code overall, but perhaps it doesn't, right? Because other developers on the team might get stuck or they may not be interrupted and told about this change and how it could impact other parts of the system. And they may get bored writing code all day long. I know many years ago, I thought I wanted to be a developer and then I found, oh, I'm kind of bored if I write code all day long. So you can't make those assumptions that if you make a change in one place, it's going to make changes in others. One of the things people say about metrics is that you know, metrics are only useful if they actually lead to action or inform action. Right. Have you seen, was that something your group was looking at in the development or of or the curation of these metrics? And have you seen examples of that playing out from practitioners? Yeah. So the metrics that we included in the paper were example metrics. And we gave example metrics by three levels, the individual, the team, and the system. Because you can think about productivity at those different levels. We didn't intend to curate a full list of metrics or even claim that these are the metrics that you should use. 
they were example metrics. To come up with metrics, it's really important to go back. I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record, I think, today. But I think it's really important to define what your goal is before you jump to defining metrics. So I've seen often with groups and even in academia too, that people start with trying to define a metric without really understanding what it's going to be used for. Well, we do this with software as well, right? We create solutions to problems that we don't really know whether they exist yet. And we don't really know who has the problem. And these are why some startups fail. And the same with metrics. Metrics will fail and will be misused and will introduce risks if there isn't a clear understanding of how they're going to be used and why they're going to be used and also then tracked over time to see what use, what an impact they have. Because over time, the things that you measure and your needs and your context are going to change as well. And you might also be aware that, you know, having this metric, there's an expression, you'll get what you measure, right? So if you measure pull requests, I did this when I was teaching this last term. I told my students, I want to see your pull requests. So I know how much your effort you're putting into the projects. Well, guess what I got? I got more pull requests, not necessarily higher quality code or solutions to the problems, but I got more pull requests. So you have to be careful over time. But I think in terms of actionability, the metrics can help guide us towards some of those actions that we need to take to bring value. So what has the industry reception of this paper been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been huge in part, I think, because Nicole is so well known in industry. And so she's advertised it, you know, through social media. We also published it in ACMQ, which um, was intentional because uh, that is aimed at, at practitioners rather than some of the other venues that we tend to publish in research. And so it's, it's a lot of people have seen it. I am curious to know how a lot of companies are using space from a high level view and from what I've seen and chatting with a few people. I think that for the most part, it's shifting how people think about productivity. And I think that that was the main goal that we had. But I do think that some folks are perhaps struggling a little bit to use it to come up with metrics. So a lot in our industry, a lot of us are engineers. I mean, I'm an engineer by, you know, that's where I started. And we want objective data. We want to measure things. We want to know, are we making improvements? And so there's still this desire to look at those different dimensions and then perhaps choose objective or quantitative data, some telemetry data from systems, for example. But one of the things that we talk about in the paper is don't just use that kind of data. Actually talk to people, ask them what is their, you know, how are they feeling? What is their perception of productivity? What are their barriers? What are their challenges? And use the dimensions to help drive the kinds of questions and the kinds of places that we look to get insights, productivity. That's really interesting. So I'm gathering... Are you getting lots of questions from industry just asking you, okay, here's this framework. Now, what metrics should we use? Is that what kinds of yeah. questions are you hearing? Yeah, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to take the dimensions in space and then turn them into metrics in a dashboard. And my, you know, my usual answer to that is not one that many people might want to hear. It's not a quick fix. It's not, you know, it can't be applied. It doesn't take away the hard work that you need to do to understand what is going on in your team or in your company or between teams or with your engineering system, that it takes a lot of work to understand what's going on and 
you know, choosing metrics might bring some visibility and signals that there are problems, but you still need to then go and, and look at that and try to understand that in a very deep way. Do I think that you can use them? I think that you could use these metrics in small teams when everybody buys into what these metrics are measuring. They're all proxy measures. They're all, you know, they're not perfect and they will shift over time. But if you use them in a very intentional way and everybody understands why we're using those metrics and that they can't be used in isolation, then I think they can bring some value. But I don't know that you could apply them across a large company and then say, oh, look, this team over here is doing so much better than this other team. And here's why, because, you know, I don't think there's a universal set of metrics. That makes sense. And that's definitely a theme in the paper. One other thing that was interesting to me in the paper, you, it's mentioned that productivity and satisfaction are intricately connected. And I know this has been an area of research for you for a long time. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, I mean, it's not just research that I've done, but also there are other researchers in my community. So Graciotin and, and Fagerholm, for example, have looked at happiness of developers. And one of their insights is happier developers feel more productive and developers that are more productive feel happier. Uh, satisfaction is a little bit of a slightly different concept, but it's related, of course. So what we found in our research, though, is that, yes, they're related, they're correlated, but there are many other factors that mediate and moderate that relationship. So you can't just say that if a developer feels satisfied in their work, that they're going to necessarily feel more productive and vice versa. You have to look at these other factors as well. So their work environment, the culture of the team, the psychological safety that they have, how their manager is managing their team. All of these things play a really, really important role in both of those, as well as the tools that they're using in their process. Is there like a chicken and egg thing here? Like which comes first, causation? satisfaction? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we did not look at causation. We do not claim causation. My own opinion on this is that all of these things kind of move together. That if you're feeling satisfied with your work and you have a positive work environment and feel that your work is appreciated and you have that autonomy, that is going to, there is a bit of a relationship, but it goes in both directions. So if you're feeling all of those things and I feel that you value, say we're working together and you value what I'm doing, then I'm going to feel that I'm, oh, I'm more productive. My boss, you know, values that I'm helping all of these other people. Likewise, if I get a lot of things done and I get these great features done, I am going to be more satisfied as well. And there is a lot of research in organizational psychology that does look at this and does see some causation going in both directions. That's really interesting. One question I had for you prior to space, you mentioned Nicole's pretty well-known in industry with her book. Yeah. And of course, one of the most popular sort of sets of metrics in industry prior to space was were the Dora metrics as they yeah. become yeah. called. Yeah. So you worked with Nicole on this paper. How is space different than Dora? How do you contrast these two yeah. sets of metrics? Yeah, I mean, to me, and I think perhaps to Nicole as well, Dora is more focused on the process and the engineering and the delivery of features through the software engineering lifecycle. The space framework is more looking at it from the lens of the developer and the team, although it also can be used to think about the system as well. So they're definitely related but I think Dora are more specific and can be operationalized a lot more easily in some ways. Although I think a lot of practitioners still struggle with that 
because again, context matters, but space is, is broader. It's much broader. And I think space touches a lot more on the perspective of the developer, right? And their experience working. That makes sense. One other thing I saw in your paper that caught my attention, you talk about lines of code and velocity points. They're in the table of uh, example okay. metrics. Yeah. And I'm just curious to know, you know, those are metrics that in industry, there's been quite a bit of controversy around the usage of those types of metrics. I'm curious, was that a point of discussion for the authors when you were writing this paper? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to know what the perspectives were on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we would kind of laugh about it, really, that lines of code are, is being used as, you know, one of the metrics and even, you know, the number of pull requests. But we put them in because, you know, they are metrics that we find a lot of practitioners do use. Um, and so to kind of reach out to them and to build a bridge, we, we included those in the table. They are signals, though. I mean, you can't say that they're completely useless. I think that they are worse than useless if they're used alone, but they're still signals. And, you know, I was talking about assessing my student groups, you know, if they're not producing any lines of code, you know, and not committing any code, then it's okay, I got to talk to them. What's going on, folks? What's happening? So it's, yeah. an, they are important signals, but they don't, they can't be used by themselves. That makes sense. Well, you're involved, deeply involved in this kind of research area. And I know you're constantly thinking about the next sort of evolution of solutions in the space. I'm curious, since publishing the space framework, how have your opinions or recommendations, how are they evolving? I think space is great. And I think if any practitioners care about productivity or are trying to measure it or trying to improve it, that they should read that paper because I think it has a lot of insights. But in terms of trying to measure and perhaps be a little bit more actionable at the level of the developer, I think that we need to think about how to measure their experience and what factors are going to be important. And there are many different factors that influence experience, just like your happiness. There are many, many different factors that influence how happy I feel. And the same with developers. And it's important for industry, not just because they need to retain their, their engineers, because losing their engineers is so expensive and disastrous in some cases. But also because if their engineers do feel, you know, happier in their work and more satisfied and are having a more positive experience and they're motivated to do the right things, then they're going to produce code that's better. You know, it'll be higher quality code. They're going to work more effectively and more efficiently. And there will be more communication in the team, more awareness about what's going on. So I think focusing on, I think we've done as a research community a pretty good job at describing the factors. Okay, you can look at different papers and there are different words used and maybe some pop up higher in the, in the models than others, but we kind of have it. We kind of know, right? That we, all of these things matter. What I'm not sure that we've spent enough time on is really understanding how to make change and what interventions, what changes should be important. Actually, I'll give an example of one that I, um, was listening to a talk yesterday by Kat Hicks. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. And so she's been looking at the importance of learning. And I love her research because learning was one of the themes that came out of my research when I was at Microsoft and studying developer satisfaction, that learning was really, really important for a lot of the engineers, not just in being productive down the road, but in their satisfaction, in their, in their feeling of being competent. So if you want to actually, there's a theory called the self-determination theory, which 
talks about the needs for people to feel motivated towards work. And that theory talks about autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And so competence comes from learning and feeling like I'm learning something new. And so as a team, you might want to be thinking about supporting your engineers to learn, not just because it will help them down the road in choosing better technologies or using other frameworks, but because it will also make them feel more satisfied and more engaged and more motivated to do their work. So I think we, as an industry, we need to stop trying to measure productivity and maybe not even use that word as much and instead have more focused goals. And as an industry, focus on what are the things or the practices or the approaches or the interventions that or values, right, that we can use to improve developer experience and in terms, you know, improve the product performance measures and improve the velocity of the engineering process. That's really interesting. I'm curious what maybe a similar question, but what are, and you touched on this earlier, what are the roadblocks with the space, applying the space framework in terms of the example metrics? Where are you seeing, I'm sure companies are coming to you asking, you know, which metric should we use? And they're trying stuff. Where are you seeing the space framework maybe fall short in being the answer? I think that it's still quite broad in its goals and it falls short because, and but this is something we did talk about when we were writing the paper about there's this model called goals, questions, metrics, where you need to start with a goal and then you come with questions and then those lead to the metrics. And I think we even wrote some of the stuff along the way. And then we took it out to try to keep the paper a little bit, you know, uh, more succinct. But I think space doesn't, it isn't enough by itself. There really has to be a lot of attention placed on understanding what are your goals in terms of whether it's understanding, whether it's improving or changing, or whether it's even measuring. If you are measuring, why are you measuring? And what do you hope to get with that? And so it's not enough. It's a start. It's definitely a lot better than using lines of code or even you know a simple survey, but it's not enough to help in narrowing down what are those goals. And I gave a, a talk yesterday for Never Work in Theory and one of the three kind of high-level goals that I was thinking about was one in terms of the product, right? What is the quality of the product? I have another paper that talks about quality. Quality is also something that people don't agree on, and it's also very complex. It's not even that easy to measure that because there are many dimensions to quality. But, you know, that's one of the three. And then the second one is engineering velocity. That's what Dora kind of looks at. The process, understanding how the tools, understanding the throughput of what people are working on. And then the third piece to me is the experience of the developer or satisfaction. I prefer the term experience to satisfaction because experience has captures more about the motivation for the developers as well as their cognitive and their effective, their feelings say about their work. So yeah. I think I've drifted away from your question, though. Did I? <laughs> no, no, maybe. I was going to ask, can you, you've touched on the, the term experience a couple of times. Can you give some concrete examples of what you mean by experience? So, yeah, you were asking me what is next, and I'm going to go back to that, and then I'll talk about experience. So in terms of what's next, as engineers, as computer scientists, as developers, a lot of what we do has it involves people. And there are a lot of theories, I think, from psychology and social science that we need to bring into our discipline and from the management sciences as well, to bring into our discipline to making those changes. 
And one of those theories is about experience. By experience, I don't mean how skilled you are or how long you've been working. I mean, how you think about, how you feel about your work and what you value. And there's a theory called the trilogy of mind that captures that and looks at these three aspects of our experience when we're living or when we're working and breaks those down into, identifies what are some of the factors that influence those three aspects. But these three aspects, how I think about, how I feel about, and what I value, they can't be separated. We can't just, you know, say, let's just improve that and not improve the others. They're intricately connected. So that's what I mean by experience. And uh, I'm not sure if you're sharing links with this podcast, but I think we could share a link to the paper that we did with Michaela. Michaela Greiler led this paper together with you and myself, where we identified the important factors for developer experience that impact developer experience. And one of the kind of concluding quotes from that paper that I absolutely love that Michaela pulled out was being empowered to do my best work joyfully. And that quote kind of captures those three aspects of experience. So if you aim as a practitioner to empower your developers and your engineers to do their best work and to do it joyfully, you're there, right? Like you're going to make it in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great quote and great description. I'm curious for people listening who are really fascinated by the research in this space, what else should they be looking at? Who are other researchers or is there stuff coming up that people should stay on the lookout for? What would you direct people toward? Oh, well, I'm going to post my slides from yesterday from the talk that I gave at the Never Work in Theory. And I can share those with you too, because I have a list of references in there to other people's work, as well as some of the work that I've done. There's definitely a lot out there that brings those insights, delving a little bit into, you know, behavior change theories and how theories that affect people's motivation, as well as their job satisfaction. I think all of those things kind of help open your eyes a little bit to what is important. I can give a little example, actually, from some work that I'm doing with my postdoc right now. So we're looking at security or how to motivate developers to write more secure code. And so we're using, we're working with a psychologist and we're using something called the behavior change model to understand what kinds of things will motivate them and what capabilities and what opportunities they need to actually go and write more secure code. And this is a challenge. And and one of the insights that I was thinking about, you know, getting your engineers to write more secure code can be tricky because a lot of engineers, and we found this when we asked developers, what makes you feel productive? It's shipping features. A lot of them say shipping features, you know, or, you know, meeting my, my sprint goals. But the leaders are like, well, wait a minute, we have to write secure code, but that slows them down. And so how do we motivate them to do that? So some companies might say, well, we're just going to mandate it. We're going to, you know, punish them if they don't do this. But the theories from psychology show us that, well, if you control people and you bring even external motivators, you actually reduce and lower their internal motivation to write more secure code. And it's better to internally motivate developers to write more secure code or higher quality code than to control them and take away, you know, their autonomy or even to give them, you know, a pay rise if they do it. That actually also reduces their internal motivation. So understanding, you know, those nuances and understanding that I think brings a lot of that, can bring a lot of value. 
That's really interesting. So where is your research then, you personally, what are you focused on then? What's your, right what are now? your goals and research for the next year or years to come? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, we've been looking at the security space and trying to understand that. Actually, we're going to be submitting a paper soon on that. So maybe I'll put that online. I'm very interested going forward, looking at the impact of more automation and, you know, AI is, you know, being used everywhere in software development. I'm interested on the impact of that, not just on a lot of it is perhaps making developers write their lines of code more quickly, but does that make them feel more satisfied with their work? Maybe it, it reduces the challenge and that was the part that they actually kind of liked how does it impact their understanding of the code and the quality of their code? How do using how does using automation impact how other developers collaborate and talk with each other? So my work is continuing to kind of understand that that space between, uh, I guess, the social and the technical aspects of software engineering. That's really exciting. Well, I'm sure we'll all be following that research. Thanks so much again, Peggy, for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, you can find detailed show notes and other content at our website, getdx.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider rating our show since this helps more listeners discover our podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode.